And now I get to introduce our spiritual director, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, who will infuse us with God is loving, warm energy this morning. Laura, my wife Laura loaned me her cup of tea here, and my hands got a little cold. Actually, it's about 10 degrees warmer in here right now than uh, it was first service. We have two furnaces that have taken a vacation today, but they'll be back from vacation shortly. Not shortly enough, but shortly. We need some outside assistance to get them going. You find that out when the temperature drops. Anyway, with that said, thank you for bringing your warmth with you today, and uh, I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me, and if you'd like to stand and do that, that's great. If not, stay seated, and we'll say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So know with me There's one life And that life is God's life That life is our life, my life right here and right now And I know as I open to that idea I step into that expanse, that beauty, that, that vista, that, that joy of life. And so I'm so grateful to be reminded and to come back into this present moment experience, beautifully, powerfully, and wonderfully, knowing that in that moment, everything that is, seeks to inform me and seeks to guide, support, resource, and love is fully available and has my full attention. So I live consciously. I put down any old programming that no longer assists me or supports me, but has been part of my path. And I open to the new idea, the new thought. And so I bless this day. I bless the opportunity to be alive, to be creative and powerful, and accept my responsibility and my opportunity each day to make a difference in my own way, in my own thinking, and my own way of being on this planet. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. All right. Thank you, Brown. Been using um, Joyce Hawk's book, Cell Level Healing. I think we have a couple of these in the bookstore. If they're not sure how many are left, but they're there. If you're looking for one, haven't been able to pick one up. I know, I know that uh, you can pick it up locally as well at chapters. But in this, um, what inspired me about what Joyce had to say this week was a, the idea of of our energy centers. And the energy centers are known in the Hindu tradition and the Eastern tradition as chakras. Um, Carolyn Mace, one of the medical intuitives and a very popular author about uh, healing, 
uh, calls it energy banks. So she uses a different terminology to kind of express the same idea. But anyway, um, in it, we, what we know about this, and, and Joyce uses it because when she works with patients, a lot of times what she sees intuitively are colors. And so each chakra has a color associated with it. And I'm going to just touch on them today because I want to talk about what that looks like and, and when, when we're uh, open to, to life and permeable to that experience. So the first one is the, is the base of the spine. The color is red. And it's, it holds the vital energy for the physical body. So at the very core, or at the very base of our spine is the, the physical energy for the, for the physical body, the vital energy for the physical body. The second one is the, the belly button, and that's our, where our emotional body lives and our relationships with one another. The third is our solar plexus, which is above the belly button, our stomach area. And that is where we are, how we show up in the world, our personal power. The fourth is our heart. The color is green. It represents compassion. The fifth is our throat. Color is blue. It represents expression, the ability to communicate. The sixth is the third eye, between the eyes, just in the forehead there. And that represents, the color is indigo. It, it represents insight and clairvoyance. And then the seventh is the top of the head, the crown chakra. And that is purple. It's the connection to spirit. And so it just gives us an idea of how we're sort of set up energetically. And I know that many of you are working a lot of different modalities, but when, when our chakras are, are blocked, and Joyce talks about that in her work, that she'll see things in color as she works with someone intuitively, a color will come to mind, and then she'll, it'll give her a clue as to what might be happening or what might be going on. So anyway, with that in mind, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about where we are and why our, our cellular structure is so important. Because all of us are cells. There's 50 trillion cells that make up each physical body. You are a community of cells at that base level. The first form of life that took form on the planet were the amoebas. And the amoebas were just all random and they were running around with millions and millions of amoebas. And then the amoebas got together by divine direction and they started to organize. So they organized into things like plants and animals and then eventually the evolution to, to uh, humanity. And when, we, when it started out, give you a little bit of background on how we've, we've evolved to this point and what's going on because we teach ancient wisdom. And a lot of what we talk about has been around forever. When we talk about new thought, it's not that we have any new thoughts to offer the world, but it's a, the new perception and how we shift out of that conditioned thinking. All of us were conditioned by the age of six. We were pretty much programmed by the age of six by our environment, by our parents, who influenced us not so much from perhaps their own genius or inspiration, and maybe that was your case, but most of it we, we've been informed by generation after generation after generation. There are things that we, have, we, we carry with us that we don't even know why we carry them, but we were given as a gift when we were children. So our opportunity in terms of waking up is to be able to look at those things, be aware of those things, and shift and change that. Statistically, they figure that most of us, most people live at about 95% from the subconscious and 5% consciously. And so if you take any of our, do any of our classwork, our whole emphasis is really about waking up to the ideas that perhaps don't serve us anymore and finding a new way to, to be in the world. And that's the process of undoing and, and accepting new ideas. And it takes time. It takes practice. And it takes repetition. And so... 
the idea of waking up um, is, is that we start to shift those percentages. We start to live, live more and more and think more and more from our conscious uh, abilities. So that's about what spiritual practice is about, and that's why it takes time, because we're unlearning and we're putting down things that we were given, but perhaps don't pertain to where we are or where we'd like to go. So when we started out, the amoebas got together and they organized, and all of a sudden plant life started to show up. But when, when our evolution started, it was mariculture that we started. The first culture was mariculture, which is a form of the marine life. We were, the, the first life came out of the ocean. In fact, for a long time, everyone lived close to water because you needed water to survive. And so it was the mariculture is what scientists have, have uh, labeled it. And that, over a period of time in evolution, then those, the, 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 the beings that lived in the water uh, started to travel onto the water, and they became amphibian. And so when the amphibian culture started to take off and people started to, the evolution of consciousness started to realize we can take it and we can move the water onto the land, we went into the agriculture. So agriculture was very powerful and it helped create societies. As soon as the food sources got, got more plentiful, uh, cultures could, could thrive. And it just created a lot of, um, of, uh, of traveling. That's thinking of another word, but they, people started to move around more. Then, then the evolution went to the reptilian. And, there, and these are all reflections of consciousness. Why I'm talking about this is how, this is how consciousness has evolved. So the reptilian consciousness showed up. And what, if you look at the, the nature of, of uh, reptiles, like a, a small lizard, um, or, or a lot of reptiles look very mechanical. And they are a, a metaphor for the Industrial Revolution. So when we started to move from the agriculture to the Industrial Revolution, we grew from lizards to dinosaurs. And what we have now, you continue to see it on the planet. You have a lot of things happening right now based on the industrial giants that are out in the world. It's just our natural evolution. Part of what you're seeing happen with uh, um, these different Occupy movements. We were in New York City about three weeks ago, and, and, what, and right near Wall Street, this park is just packed full of people that are occupying this park. And part of their, part of their, their complaint is that it's, the system doesn't work for everyone. They feel left behind. They feel left out. And, but it's what dinosaurs do because it's the reptilian nature. So when you are a reptile and you live in the swamp and something floats by, everything looks like food. So you consume whatever you can consume, and that's the nature of that particular consciousness. So we moved from the reptilian, and then we went and we connected with the birds. And if you look at the evolution of it, the Wright brothers developed flight 1902 or 1903, and then it changed the world, made the world smaller. We could get around, we can go places now we couldn't imagine. It would take us months and years to travel. Now we can be there in a few hours. Be on the other side of the world in a few hours. And so it's amazing. And what, and, and what epitomized that is, is in 1969, we landed on the moon. There's an example of flight. We landed on the moon, and what did they do? It changed the world. They took a picture of the earth. This beautiful green and blue orb, they took a picture of it. And then all of a sudden, it started to connect with people in a different way. It started to shift us out of this reptilian uh, attitude to the mammalian, to the mammals. And the mammals are the nurturing nature. And we all have this capacity. We have the reptilian brain, we have the mammalian brain. So we took this picture of the earth, and and all of a sudden, this movement showed up, this shift in consciousness. And there were a group of people that said, man, we've got to start loving the planet. We've got to start taking care of stuff. This is all we got. I mean, it is. Where are we going to move if we mess this one up? 
I don't want to go live on Venus. It looks way too hot for me. But, but the point is that all of a sudden it awakened and shifted consciousness, this technology of flight. And so we landed on them and we took, and, and people started to say, we've got to, we've got to do this in a different way. We started caring for things. So that nurturer consciousness started showing up. And what's happening is you look at the world, because it's really easy to give up. It's really easy to say, man, I can't figure this out. This is crazy. The, the, the money markets and all of the people that control money and seem to do things and the political systems and the, all of the things that seem to be in such chaos and turmoil. It's really easy to look at the world and say, I, I can't, it's too much for me. I can't do this. But if we understand that out of friction and out of chaos, and this, what's happening is the whole system's being shaken right now. And this isn't the first time it's happened because something new wants to be given birth to. And so my commitment to my own evolution and, and why I share this with you is that we can either be part of the solution or we can be part of the problem. And, and as soon as we say it's too much and I can't do it, we quit. And, that, and everyone has a right to do that. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just not quitting. Because I think what's happening is a symptom. There's something, there's a bigger idea that wants to happen. This flux is leading us to something. But in order for us to survive and to thrive, we have to start thinking more consistently in different ways. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what the core of our movement is, is to understand and help shift perceptions because we think in a different way. We, we challenge the status quo. And we don't have to challenge it in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense of a confrontation. We just simply have to look at it and say, does this work for me or not? Is this something that I want to be part of or not? And so how this relates to, to, to chakras, we are all part of this system. One of the things that's really popular right now is this idea of the autoimmune deficiency. It's a, it's a disorder that's very uh, uh, alive right now. And what autoimmune deficiency is, is the, the cells in the body start to attack one another. Well, it's a reflect, as above, so within. As above, so below. As, as within, so without. And so when we see the discord and we see the disconnect, it just simply means that we're not working in collaboration. We're trying to figure it out. We want, we want to be in the collaboration, I think, at, our, at the end of the day. But it's difficult for us to get there sometimes. And so how do we develop the consciousness and give birth to the, the insight and the awareness and the wisdom so that we're, we're part of the solution rather than part of the problem? In Deepak Chopra's book, Reinventing the Body and Resurrecting the Soul, he said one of the things that's really important is that we, we have a reactive mind and we respond to things in certain ways, and we all do it. I was running around before our first service and I was, getting, I was getting a little stressed because I was trying to get the heat on and it wasn't working. And I, you know, so I got captured by that for a while. And then I realized I was so captured by it, I just had to, I said, well, I've done everything I can and I had to remove myself to, re, to refocus myself and get grounded on so I could show up in some semblance of clarity so that I could be of value. But part of it is just a reflection of what I know is precious and important to me. And, and so I didn't want to bring that energy or that attitude to, to the environment, but it is in, we can shift that in a moment if we're, we're aware enough. But I just knew my, what my responsibility was at that point in time. And so Deepak says that life brings many situations where letting go isn't easy. So what you have to do many times, and I'm giving that as an example because it's so pertinent and, and relevant for myself, is that fortunately he said there's a one strategy that always works about letting go. Instead of focusing on your reaction in the moment, step back and reassert who you really are. 
The real you has no agenda. No agenda at all. It lives in the present. It responds to life openly. Therefore, the attitude you need to take to any pre-programmed response, which is all your ego has to offer, is always the same. And that is, you're not me. So when, I find my, when you find yourself in those situations where you start to spin in the, the frustration, to, to have the awareness say, oh, there I go again. But you're not me. Because the real me doesn't have an agenda. And it sounds simple and it can sound contrite, but it's so powerful. Because it helps us disconnect. That's not me. That's, I'm having the experience of being frustrated. I'm having the experience of being angry. But that's not me. Brian McLeod sent me a, he did a Jingle Bell, version of Jingle Bell. It's beautiful on the, on, online. So I clicked on it, I opened it, and I'm listening to it. And I'm so good with the computer. It's just amazing. And after it played like this for the sixth time, I couldn't shut it off. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going through programs. I love the song, Brian, but I've heard it enough now. You know? So anyway, I figured it out. So what does it look like? She said, Deepak says that when we do that, one stroke, with one stroke you accomplish two things. You put the ego on notice that you've seen through its game, and you call upon your real self to help you. That's powerful practice. Oh, there I am getting frustrated. But that's not me. That's just the experience I'm having. And it stops us. And it, it starts to, Deepak, and I'm going to use this next week because I, I want to expand on it. And there's so much rich material, and I don't want to, I, I can't get it all in I, and, and do it justice. But one of the practices he talks about is that he uses a metaphor of a house, that our ego is, our egoic nature is like a house. And, and in that house, it can be, he describes it as very tight and cramped, not much light. And when we step into the soul, when the soul actually, and see our soul hovers, Dr. Thomas Troyer talked about this, our soul hovers. And I believe when we do spiritual practice, it enters, it enters us. And then all the cells that Joyce Hawk's talking about, they light up. There's, a, there's an aliveness and a vibrancy and I think we've all had that experience. So when we're in the egoic nature and we're spinning in that, we're in that, that house with the doors shut, all the shutters are shut, all the, the shades are pulled. And then when we step, when our soul, we start to do the dance with our soul, it's as if we walk out the front door and it's a beautiful landscape and everything is light and all the colors are vibrant. The blues and the greens and, the, and the, all the colors of the earth are just alive. But it's a wonderful metaphor for the example and why we do the practice. So that why when we do that practice and we step into it, all of a sudden everything lights up for us, ourselves. I know that when I'm, when I'm frustrated and angry and resentful and I'm carrying all that with me, I'm literally attacking every cell in my body in a way that is not in my best interest. It just doesn't serve me well. And so... When we, look at the, when we look at healthcare on the planet, we look at living a vibrant, powerful life. These, these spacesuits that we're wearing as our bodies, they're amazing. 50 trillion cells. 50 trillion cells, all organized. We are an organized community, each one of us. And is this not a clue about how we can organize in terms of consciousness? And this idea of competition and there's not enough and I've got to get mine, that's the reptilian brain. What if we show up in the world and just say, man, I, I want to share my gifts. Because when I share my gifts, it brings great joy to me. And I attract to me people that also want to share their gifts. And all of a sudden, we're into this new idea, this new possibility. So what wants to happen here on planet Earth? Because the dinosaurs are going to die. 
The dinosaurs just, that's what dinosaurs do. When the dinosaurs were alive on the planet, there were actually at the same time fuzzy little small forms of the mammalian energy. There were mammals alive. They weren't dominant, but they were alive. And what through evolution, through consciousness and through physical evolution, which is reflective of consciousness, the dinosaurs served their purpose, passed away, and here you and I are. So when we look at the world, I think it's important to look at it, as Deepak said, to look at the world. I think it's the first or second one here. He says, experience what's in front of you. Is it working for you? Does this work for me? Why doesn't this work for me? Because if you track it back and you take it down to the deepest level, you'll understand how to, where to direct your energy, your spiritual energy. And what's there for us to do? What's there for us to do in each moment? That's the conversation that all of a sudden we start breaking out of those, those conditioned reflexes. We start living from that uh, a larger sense of our conscious thinking. But it's hard to unlearn those practices. It's hard to... decipher all that. I just... uh, um, It's interesting. Sometimes when I'm up here having these conversations with y'all, there's a sort of a a window that opens where there's nothing. Um, probably because I'm talking about nothing all the time. And then I, I haven't a clue what I'm talking about. It's it's this experience that's just, it's it, and so it, I just, I have to just kind of stand in it for a moment. In the movie The Matrix. I don't know if you've all seen it, but I remember we did a teen lock-in, a fun-in. I used to go to all the teen lock-ins. And I love the teens, but I do believe that I've learned everything I ever need to learn by teen lock-ins in my lifetime. (laughs) I've slept uh, on tiny little mats on the floor at the teen lock-ins. But we showed the Matrix one. The teens are awesome, and I love them. Uh, But we showed the Matrix. And the Matrix is really about... If you've watched it, it's about choices. It's about, do you take the blue pill or the red pill? And I don't know which is which anymore because I haven't seen the movie in years, but I do know that when taking one pill, so I'm going to keep going along with the program. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, and I'm going to support what's going on, and I'm part, of the, I'm part of the whole thing. Or I take the other pill, and I step out of the program, and I decide to head in a different direction. I, start to do, I decide to do things in a different way. And I think that is our choice, it's our, and it's our choice every day. See, uh, when Deepak talks about stepping out of that, that um, egoic self, that, that closed-down environment, when you get those, those, someone that shares the wisdom with you, it's not a one-time thing. You just get getting to do it over and over again. I'm going to step out right now for no good reason other than the fact that I'm choosing the bliss. I'm choosing the love. I'm choosing the light. I'm choosing the joy. Talked about it last week. There's three qualities of, of identifying when you're, when you're connected with that. And one is love. The other is happiness. And the third is intuition, is knowing, which is tapping into three of, those, three of those qualities of chakra that I brought up. One is the heart. 
See, with the chakras, when, when, you, when you're in the base energy, when you're in that core life energy, the base, all of a sudden what happens is there's a communication that goes on, and when it passes through the heart and connects with the seventh chakra, all of a sudden that base energy is connected with God. And then you're having that experience that we're talking about. When the, when the, um, when the belly button, that energy, that's the emotional body, passes through the heart and it connects with that, that indigo, that intuition. All of a sudden, our emotions and our intuition are in concert. They're in communication. When the solar plexus, which is the goal, which is our personal power, passes through the heart, and it connects, and it connects with our, our throat chakra. So the things that we say are in alignment. And, but everything passes through the heart. So the heart is the gatekeeper to all this communication that's going on. That's a powerful, wonderful thing. When we were in Omega, the Omega Institute this, uh, about three weeks ago, um, one of the things that Omega has done is they have a self-contained, self-recycling um, water facility. It's world-class. One like this has never been built, and it's an example. But what they do is they take all the water. They take all the wastewater. They capture rainwater, and, then, and, they, and they recycle, and they purify it, and they filter it. And so they have these terraced, terraces full of vegetation, and one of the things that's happening is as the water filters through there, they have these uh, willows, these, uh, the, 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 the reeds that live in the, uh, the rivers. Um, when we were kids, we called them pussy willows. But they have the willows, and they theorize now, and they're checking, but they believe that the willows are extracting the pharmaceuticals that are, that are in all the water, that they have the capacity to do that. Because what's happening is we look at this. See, when we have, I mean, if you're a pharmaceutical, I'm a carpenter. I drive Laura crazy because we walk into a place I'm remodeling as soon as I walk in. Yeah, we could tear the floor out and we could put new windows in, new doors, and, you know, and, and she's like, well, where are you going? But see, when you're a carpenter and all you own is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You just want to hit it, you know? <laughs> but I use that as an example of mindset. So if you're a pharmaceutical, there's no good reason why we would want to develop a pharmaceutical where, where you'd get really healthy. We want to, get, you know, and, I, and, I, and I think at the end of the day, nobody says that. But if your business is to keep coming up with drugs so that people can feel better, you're going to find reasons to give people drugs. But what's happened as a result of it, and I think it's, uh, there's one drug, I saw it online, uh, that is the most uh, overprescribed prescription medicine, and it's a heavy, it's a heavy mar- uh, uh, drug, and I think it's, it could be Prozac, I'm not sure. But um, one of them that they're finding so much of it in the water now because we take it and then, then it flushes through us and then a residual ends up in the water supply. And so what they're finding with these willows at Omega is that they think that nature can help extract that from the water. This is genius. I mean, it's a brilliant use of technology. And somebody, I'm in the tour, Laura and I go on the tour, there's about 15 of us there and this, this engineer standing there and somebody says, well, what is the financial return for you guys? And he said, we never did this for a financial return. We're never going to get our money back. We've put millions and millions of dollars into this plant. I mean, they dug up the whole parking lot and put this filtration system in. So the water goes through all these cycles, and it terraces down, and it comes around, and it goes all the way through all of these filters, and and it's buried underneath the parking lot. Amazing. They said, we did this because we knew it was the right thing to do. So now what's happening is people from different communities are coming to Omega and they're seeing the technology. The mayor of Albany contacted this engineer. He was telling us the story. 
And he saw what they're doing, and he brought him in, and he said, the mayor wants to meet with you. The, his mayor's assistant called this engineer. So the guy said, well, I, I know this mayor. Albany's only about an hour up the road from Omega. Albany, New York, which is the state capital. And this guy's notorious for having these very short meetings. So he went in to have, see the mayor, and he was a little, a little nervous, didn't know what to say. And the mayor looked at him and said, we want this for Albany. We want your system for this community. Well, there's a seed planted of someone saying, you know, we know water's precious. And we want to have water for the next generation's grand. And these are the kind of things that are happening. But we don't, we don't hear a lot about it. So I wanted to just tell you that story. Because what the newspaper will tell you is that the financial markets are collapsing. And that the, there's, there's, you know, whatever is going on. But it's all about fear. It feeds that reptilian brain that thrives on fear. And when you understand it and you catch yourself going there... You can look at it, and when you start to get scared, you can say, this isn't me, but this is me experiencing fear. And you know what? I know there's a bigger idea. We're here to give birth to the the thing that wants to be given birth to. And that is our opportunity. That's our responsibility. And so why we do spiritual practice is so that in our own community, which is this body, we can light everything up. Because the love is available, because all the chakras are working in tandem, so everything that is passing through the heart. And you know that. That's when you're blissed out. See, and, and we don't have to have special classes. We don't have to have special uh, anything happen. What's happened for you and what's happened for me in our lives? Anybody here ever been in love? Okay, yeah, there's three or four people that have been in love. Everyone here has been in love. Pardon me? Thanks. Man, my hands get cold up here. Speaking of putting your hands up, I'm bringing hand warmers with me next week just in case. But the point is, is that, that what happens for us when we're in love is that it's a present moment experience. It's a total present moment experience. Look at these two over here. I just married those two. They're still in love. That's beautiful. I like, no, yeah. I'll let you know when you go too far. Anyway, (laughs) but when you're in love, guys, it's, uh, you know, uh, one of my dear friends, Reverend David Leonard, down in Huntsville, Alabama, and when I was going through this experience, he was so, such a good guy, Uh, and he said, it's the portal that other person becomes the portal to the infinite. They're the opening. And, and so when you're in love, your mind doesn't wander because you're just captured by this experience of the other person. And the other person, what that is, is that it's a vibrational tone of opening. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. And then you live in the bliss. That's what Joseph Campbell said, follow the bliss. So we've all had that experience. And so when you say, you know, when you're having, you find yourself in, the, in the, the spin of frustration or anger or not enough or whatever, or, you know, competition, you can stop yourself. Part of the practice is, oh, look it, I'm having, this, I'm having this experience. I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm whatever I am. But I also can go over here because this is love. I can remember those moments of love. I can remember what that feels like and my mind doesn't wander. My mind doesn't wander. Part of this mastery is monitoring, ter, monitoring when our minds wander. It's just a practice. 
But we've all had that beautiful experience because we're hardwired for that. And so we forget, but we can come back to it. And then everything lights up. And then what we need physically. Our bodies are amazing, amazing things. And what we need physically, our body can help supply. And, and the guidance around the right nutrition and the right ways to be on the planet. You know, if you've noticed over the last several months, Laura and I have changed the way we eat. And I was telling the kids the other day, I went to bed one night a carnivore and I woke up the next day a vegan. But it's the evolution. It's the evolution. And we, and we were heading in that direction for a long time. And it's an amazing thing. All of a sudden I have all this extra energy because I'm not digesting so much food anymore. But it's, it's remarkable. And it's, but there's ways to be on the planet together. Our community wants things to work well. We, we want to be in collaboration. And we want to collaborate from that place of love where the chakras are open and the heart is connected. It passes through the heart you know, in, in every way, shape, and form. Deepak, and I'll talk about it next week, Deepak talks about four qualities that help support this practice in our lives. One, he said, is to remain centered. Number two is to be clear. Number three is to expect the best and to wait and watch. They're all wonderful. I'm going to flesh them out next week with you. They're wonderful practices. But these are the kind of practices in our lives that help us stay in that connection with spirit. That's why our prayer is so intimate. We don't pray out there. We pray to to that inner intelligence and wisdom within. And when our soul enters our body, it's a beautiful experience. Then we're in the dance Deepak says that when we're, when we're following this, this information, that we have the experience but pull ourselves back, say, you're not me. Yeah, I get it. When I was running around, I did this very, this was for me today. When I was running around trying to get the furnace on, I couldn't get the heat going. And I was like, oh, golly, golly, golly. You know, I'm telling myself that story. And then I realized, you know what? You're not me. You're just the experience of not enough heat. Or what I'd like, but obviously there's enough heat. We're, most of us are staying alive here, I think. But it, it, but it really is, I mean, those are the moment-to-moment awarenesses. You're not me. That's just disappointment showing up. Deepak says, when you're alive in it, you know that you're responding from the soul level whenever you do the following. Accept the experiences in front of you. Approve of other people and yourself. Cooperate with the solution at hand. Detach yourself from negative influences. Remain calm in the face of stress. Forgive those who offend or wrong you. Approach the situation selflessly with fairness to all. Expect a peaceful influence. Take a non-judgmental attitude, making no one feel wrong. So those are some of the clues. And if, you're, if, you're, you're, and if you struggle with some of them, that's okay. You know, it's, 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 I, I, I still love it. We've got to step out of the egoic self into that expanse through the doorway. And the more often we do that, the more often then we, we're connected with our soul. That's our longing. That's what we want to experience, I believe. And so why we do this work, and if we look at the evolution from the uh, mariculture to the agriculture to the reptilian to the industrial to aviation and the mammalian, that mammal energy, that nurturing energy, you know, we, got, we have this beautiful green and blue orb. And it's our opportunity to take care of it. It's our opportunity to give birth to the things that are going to make this, this experience sustainable and vibrant and thriving for generations to come. 
And we can do that. We can do that. Part of what's happened is we've given a lot of power away to a very small group of individuals, politicians and, and people that influence the conversation. And they're doing the best they know how. So it's not about making them wrong. It's just looking at what they're having to say and say, does this work for me? Is this, is this in the best interest of what I hold to be precious? Is this nurturing and powerful and, and wonderful? And does it bring us to love and does it bring us to life? And I don't know that. I don't, I don't, it's not going to be a straight path. It's not going to be you know, overnight, but it's going to be a practice. And the more you and I practice and bring that awareness, we influence others. We show up. Our, all of our cells light up. We can live in the bliss and we can live in the love and we can live in the unbounded possibility and creativity. And all that stuff is so much more fun to live in. So, and so it is.